Welcome to the Dynamics Coaching River Tiger podcast. These podcasts are about all things equestrian, especially learning and developing skills with both horses and riders. Welcome to the River Tiger podcast and to part two of the audio version of the blog articles about learning in the ugly zone. Part two. Exploring my ugly zone. Memories of my early kayaking experiences consist of an overwhelming sense of not being in control. As a passionate mountaineer, I was learning to paddle because I needed to. I needed a basic instructor ticket so that I could work in the outdoor pursuits industry in North Wales. I passed my three-star, a personal proficiency award, after just a few hours of practice. In those days, the three-star, an introduction to moving water, was trained and assessed on flat water. I learnt to break in to the flow of moving water, <laughs> the current, by paddling forwards on a lake, putting in a huge sweep stroke to turn my boat and then doing what I call an air brace, a support stroke that's about as useful as a chocolate teapot. We practices these sequences and shapes every time I worked with a group on the lake. My fellow instructors at the time were all male and all experienced paddlers. The pressure to succeed as the only female shaped my perceptions and my determination to keep up with them. I felt that I had to be as good as them, if not better, to survive in my domain of work. I had to not make mistakes. And most of all, I had to be brave and show that as a woman, I was capable of working in an industry like this. For their part, they thought that being generally confident and competent, I'd get along just fine if they looked after me and I just kept on trying. A few early trips to the local Whitewater River, Arvon Thruerin in Bala, were memorable for all the wrong reasons. I'd put in at the top of the section, told to follow the person in front of me and if in doubt, just paddle like fuck. On tricky sections, one of them would shout instructions to me as I paddled past them, or bobbed past normally. The instructions were generally very technique-focused, what to do, when, never why, or what to pay attention to. I was acutely aware of the fact that getting to the bottom, the right way up, had nothing to do with my ability, or very little anyway. I was always too overwhelmed to be able to recognise or use any of the river features the affordances that the river features offered. My boat, a classic old microbat, was basically a cork. Round edges meant that it bobbed along and stayed upright whatever I went through or over. My little boat might have kept me upright and safe, but it was not very good at giving me feedback about my paddling ability. This lack of direct feedback and consequence is what we call a low-validity learning environment. Sure. It kept me safe in water that was too hard for me to paddle. The downside was that it further reduced my chances of becoming skillful. Unsurprisingly, the more paddling I did, the less confident I became. The less confident I became, the more I worried and the more I would focus on what strokes and techniques I had learnt on the, on the lake and in my three-star. And the problem with this, as I realised many years later was that everything that I had learnt on the lake, particularly around things like breaking into a flow, was on flat water and irrelevant to moving water. 
The current would turn my boat before I'd even finished my sweep stroke. My air brace provided no support at all. Both of them put my weight in the wrong place to keep me safe and upright. And my careful rehearsal was connected to an internal focus and to making correct movement shapes, not to the information in my environment. I don't know if it was because I was the only female, but I was over-supported and operating outside of my ability. What I now know of as controlling support. This was not for any malicious reasons. I think the boys genuinely thought that I would be fine if they just looked after me. Unaware that like sitting idly in a passenger seat, I was not able to develop perception action coupling or decision making skills just by following and hoping. Finding search bases for learning. Despite all of my previous experience mountaineering and being an active member of the local mountain rescue team, the Ogwin Valley, at that time I was also starting to lose my confidence climbing for exactly the same reasons. All this changed with one day of winter climbing with a friend of mine from the neighbouring Thamberis Mountain Rescue Team. Nikki Wallace was a super skilled mountaineer and climber, the first competent woman I'd ever been climbing with. She was a team leader with the Thamberis Mountain Rescue Team, an experienced search dog handler with Search and Rescue Dogs Association and a ranger on Snowdon. The first thing that struck me was how she involved me in all the decision making. Where would I like to go? What route? Which pitches did I want to lead? It seems crazy now to acknowledge the impact that that had on me. The sense of ownership, excitement and autonomy. We romped up a frozen idwell stream in the Ogwin Valley. A relatively easy ice climb. Taking it in turns to lead the short pitches. Despite this being the hardest climb I had ever led, by the end of the route we were mostly soloing the pitches and then belaying the other up with a simple ice axe belay. I had such a heightened awareness of the properties of the ice, placing my axes, my crampons, the belay points, making safety decisions. My focus was quiet and absolute. We moved quickly and confidently together. My heart soared with the sheer exhilaration of feeling so confident about my leading ability. The thrill of being completely focused, absorbed, at ease feeling totally respected as well. It was a real turning point for me, and I was buzzing weeks later. I vowed never to climb or paddle again unless I was leading, or at least alternate leading. It was a good decision. My confidence and ability grew exponentially. And no, this is not the snow bit. The ugly zone. Now, I'm hoping that you're thinking the same as me about reflecting on these experiences. Mostly that being in our ugly zone is a little more nuanced than just being out of our comfort zone. As introduced in the Becoming Skillful articles, which I'll drop onto audio soon, the ugly zone represents a search space in which we're able to become more skillful by developing affordances of action through perception-action coupling at the edges of our current ability. Although leading the ice climbing pitches at a higher level of risk and consequence than me paddling the Truerum, I was engaging with a totally different level of autonomy, motivation and perceptual and decision-making focus. Let's have another look at the ugly curve and the important elements of snow, rabbits and poo sticks. Snow. 
perception action coupling to non-specifying information. While we were co-writing an academic paper about developing adaptive expertise, Sam, my son, sent me a video clip about some early artificial intelligence experiments. The clip helped to outline why machines are not yet able to learn as effectively as humans. And it was a TEDx talk by Peter Haas, sharing his experience of developing machine learning algorithm designed to teach itself the difference between pictures of dogs and pictures of bulls. They presented the algorithm with training data by providing it with lots of pictures to analyse and informing which were pictures of dogs and which were pictures of wolves. Then they started testing. It all went very well until they came to a picture of a husky. The algorithm said wolf. Curious. The programmers then rewrote an algorithm to determine what information it was using to make the decision, imagining the algorithm would highlight aspects of the husky's features, such as shape of its ears, eyes or muzzle. They were quite shocked when it highlighted the snow in the background of the picture. It turned out that most of the training pictures containing wolves had snow in them, and most of the training pictures containing dogs didn't. In the article, there's a picture of my old search and rescue dog, Sky in a snowy Scottish background, where he would have probably been mistaken for a wolf. This error of association is very common for humans and most other species. It's an associative learning bias. The important bit for us as coaches and performers is ensuring that we are learning movement solutions and decision-making based on specifying information and not on snow or information that just happens to be in our training environment. How do we do this? There are two key elements of the learning environment that are important here. One of them is variability of the learning environment to reduce the likelihood of developing associations to non-specifying information that just happens to be in one particular environment. And the other one is to ensure that learning environments contain the specifying information that's actually important to the performance environment. In other words, using representative learning design and variability in your practice. My early kayaking practice on a lake, pretending to be on moving water, is a great example of snow. The environment was not variable, and I'd been encouraged to have an internal focus of attention onto the shape that I was making, the strokes that I was doing, what order, how many, and not an external focus of attention on specifying information in my environment, which didn't exist on the lake anyway. My focus on non-specifying information in practice meant that I was biasing my focus of attention to irrelevant information when I was on the river. All of this confounded the pressure I was already putting on myself, the lack of intrinsic motivation and my anxiety about not being competent. The motivational environment I was experiencing when I was paddling was not supportive of my basic needs to have autonomy, relatedness and competence. So I was being thwarted in becoming self-determined or skillful. One day of ice climbing with Nikki was supercharged with self-determined motivation and learning, mostly due to it being a very needs-supportive learning environment. Rabbits. Worry, taking up space in the ugly zone. A few years ago, I listened to a story online from a horse trainer called Warwick Schiller. The basic gist of the story was about a client of Warwick's who had a very worried horse that she couldn't seem to get to settle. She described a trail ride, a hack, when her horse had spooked at a rabbit and then settled down again. A little later, another rabbit ran past 
and the horse spooked again, then settled down again. This carried on until rabbit number 13 ran past and the horse flipped, spun round and bolted home. How can my horse suddenly think a rabbit is dangerous after 12 rabbits have run past and been perfectly safe? Warwick explained that we have a finite capacity for worry. He called it the worry cup. And once this is full, it's full. Whatever tips you or your horse over the edge is not actually relevant. It's just the fact that there's no more space. Rabbits are the stresses that are unhelpful. Worrying about not feeling safe. Worrying about making mistakes. Being wrong. Not being able to make decisions. Especially about how much challenge you are happy with. Worrying about not being supported, not belonging, not being competent. These are all rabbits. The rabbits collapse the ugly zone, reducing the overall levels of challenge that you can cope with, or even if you can enter at all. Many people I work with, I actually need to support them to build an ugly zone in the first place because it's almost completely collapsed. It's like a lack of resilience, lack of space to be able to learn. I like this analogy, especially in the context that most of the worry was about not feeling competent, confident or in control. So we get back to the elements of self-determined motivation that are so important to behavioural regulation and learning. One of the most influential elements of learning is intention. Genuinely self-motivated engagement changes the way our neural systems behave. Stress shuts that down. A stressed brain cannot learn. It cannot concentrate, it cannot remember, and it's not generating new connections. My early paddling experiences were definitely full of rabbits, creating high levels of stress and low levels of motivation. I put so much pressure on myself to perform in a learning environment that was motivationally thwarting. The rabbits kept stacking up, leaving no space in the ugly zone and adding to the already downward spiral of becoming less competent, confident and motivated each time I went out paddling. Motivationally supportive learning environments do not only increase behavioural regulation, that means that we become more self-motivated or more intrinsically motivated, they also keep the rabbits at bay. Learning environments that are not need supportive result in less engagement, less self-determined motivation and are a breeding ground for rabbits. I think it's important here to mention that we can also become sensitised to rabbits. If we have enough scary experiences with the same cues, snow or specifying information and we don't have the ability to actually have any control over those we can become more sensitized and develop a fear response to any of the cues in that environment this is quite common phenomena with things like practicing capsize drills in paddle sports or with falling practice in climbing and in lots of equestrian situations for both horses and humans instead of becoming desensitized any associated information can become a cue for a fear response even without the presence of the initial fear cue or situation. Then once we're overwhelmed and over-aroused, we start getting conditioned responses to other environmental cues. Unfortunately, a lot of poor coaching and instructing is based on the idea of getting used to something without understanding the need for autonomy, support, control, competence, a sense of safe relatedness, appropriate levels of challenge. Without those, we're never going to just get used to it and can actually start creating a bigger problems that are harder to resolve by becoming sensitized instead of desensitized. Poo sticks. Being overwhelmed. Too much information to develop attunement to affordances. 
Going back to my early kayaking trips, I was always following someone else on the rivers without a clear focus or goal. I also never got the chance to do the same river sections multiple times with purpose and explorative play. No repetition without repetition. I became more and more aware of the feeling of winging it. I called this poo sticking after the game that Winnie the Pooh played with his friends. They would throw sticks into the water on one side of a bridge and then see which stick would reappear on the downstream side first. In my little microbat, I basically bobbed to the bottom of most of the river sections, sometimes even bouncing off rocks in the sides, like one of their sticks in the game, almost completely at the mercy of the water, luck and the design of my boats. As with my early paddling experiences, then when something's too hard or there's too much information, we cannot attune to what's important. We can't start that perceptual action coupling to specifying information. And we're not in the ugly zone. We're poo sticking. This is what I was doing for most of my early paddling and climbing. At best, we end up as a frustrated novice with a lack of mastery despite hours of practice. Perhaps even thinking that we're just not talented enough. Abandoning someone in a full complex performance environment is likely to result in them poo sticking. The perceptual motor search space is just too big. Too much information means that it's very hard to identify and attune to the relevant perceptual information. The lack of opportunity for repetition of outcome without repetition of movement pattern means that the number of opportunities for practice is reduced and the chances of being able to compare and develop adaptive skillfulness are lost. Summary. So we've looked at the first two stages of learning in the ugly zone engagement and motivation. The ugly curve combines the energetic constraints, what might be described as mental skills of motivation, focus of attention and arousal with the levels of challenge of our practice environment. It helps us to understand and appreciate how important motivation and intention are for developing creative and adaptive expertise. So snow rabbits and poo sticks are more likely to be found in a learning environment that is not motivationally supportive. And we'll be also doing audio versions of the motivation articles, which have a look at what a supportive learning environment would look like and dig a little bit more into self-determination theory. Also, an environment that's not representative or an appropriate level of challenge is going to be problematic. Although it is important to remember that we don't need to be at maximum challenge or representativeness at all when we're practicing. We can take slices of that. And the key bit is that it's the performer that has the ability to either co-adapt, co-develop and certainly make decisions about levels of challenge and when they come out of the ugly zone. Finally, I hope that you're reading this and nodding along in recognition of some of these experiences. You may have already realised that there are times when you might not have been in a supportive learning environment yourself. And we can change our own learning environments when we recognise and understand this and we understand what it's a good environment should feel like. So essentially, we're talking about environments that are representative and variable so that we can, we can get perception action coupling to specifying information. Environments that are motivationally need supportive, that we are supporting the individuals to not carry a lot of unnecessary worry and we are attentive to how they, how they turn up and how they, what their experiences are so that we can be aware of how much that space is and we can help them to develop an ugly zone to develop that space to feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable and then finally to be aware of what happens if we're too far over or 
if we're just sort of being swept along either ourselves as a as a performer or as a coach when there's too much information or it's a too high a level for an individual and they're just starting to poo stick. Hope you enjoyed this audio version of Snow Rabbits and Poo Sticks. I hope you're also going to look forward to the rest of the series. So we've got Becoming Skillful and the series around motivation. Thank you very much. Bye.